the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style from a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms to the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Tune in at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. Thanking you, as always, for joining with us for another edition of the Bible Live broadcast. We're going to continue, as we do each and every weeknight, through this great book of books. We are in the book of Numbers. In fact, tonight we are finishing the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, the fourth book of the books of Moses, the books of the law. They are called the Pentateuch, the Torah. The book of Numbers gets its name from the census taking two times during this book, once at the beginning before they were going to enter into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. They drew back from that. They were afraid to enter. They were discouraged by the reports of 10 of the 12 spies who gave a negative report, and so they pulled back in fear, and then they wandered for about 38 years in the wilderness, and a whole generation later, another census is taken to establish and clarify how many people we have, how many men of war can we count on as we approach the land of Canaan again, the promised land. They're camped on the east side of the Jordan River, across the river from the famous city of Jericho. We come to the end of the book of Numbers tonight, and then we'll go right on into the book of Deuteronomy. We're about the 11th month of the 40th year of the people of Israel having come out of Egypt. 
the twelfth month will be spent in mourning for Moses, who will soon die. But the book of Deuteronomy is going to be a series of four or five messages that Moses gives to the people. The second giving of the law, giving of the law to a second generation from Israel there in the wilderness. Moses will present the book of Deuteronomy in that 11th month. Then they'll have that 12th month mourning his death. Then on the first month of the 41st year, they will enter into Canaan. We'll come back to that. I'll tell you exactly where we are in tonight's reading in the book of Numbers. Right now, though, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment, which is a prayer of David for help against people who try to inflict injury for no reason. It happens to all of us. Sometimes our enemies, people against us, oppose us at work or at school or wherever, and the family even, they can be very unjust and they can lie about us. (laughs) Think about the political realm. Even when we try to do good to them, but we can always appeal to God. God is always just, and he will defend us, and he will make things right someday. Now, the author of this psalm was David, possibly written when he was being hunted by Saul. Psalm 35, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Declare war on those who are attacking me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. Lift up your spear and javelin and block the way of my enemies. Let me hear you say, I am your salvation. Humiliate and disgrace those trying to kill me. Turn them back in confusion. Blow them away like chaff in the wind a wind sent by the angel of the Lord. Make their path dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Although I did them no wrong, they laid a trap for me. Although I did them no wrong, they dug a pit for me. So let sudden ruin overtake them. Let them be caught in the snare they set for me. Let them fall to destruction in the pit they dug for me. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he rescues me. End of reading, Psalm 35, verses 1 through 9. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Somehow I I picture the people of Israel on the east side of the Jordan just singing along and rocking along there with a great song like this, celebrating the goodness, the greatness, and the wisdom of their great God. Well, maybe it didn't happen exactly that way, but we can bring our sanctified imagination to the task, right? Frankly, we do have to do that a little bit. We have to try to enter into the experience of the people of Israel, the individuals that we read about in Scripture, we try to somehow or other walk a mile in their moccasins, get a little bit of a sense of what they were living, what were the dynamics, relational dynamics, what was the dangers they were facing, how did they live, what was the lifestyle of that era in those times in terms of food and clothing and in terms of the dangers that existed in their world. It's very important that we try as we read the Scriptures to get an accurate understanding of how they were living and what they were truly in reality going through. And that is not impossible. We know that a great number of things have changed over the 3,500 years since Moses and the people of Israel were camped about 1,450 years before Christ. 
But human nature hasn't changed that much. Yes, indeed, the world has changed. Technologies have changed. They would believe they were in a futuristic existence if they saw the world we live in today. But human nature remains the same, and we can learn so much from observing these men and women. Well, right now, as I said, the people are gathered there on the east side of the Jordan. We've just been treated to an itinerary, a review of the travel of the people through the 40 years in the wilderness. We'll finish that, and then we'll go into the time when they start talking about the boundaries of the land for the different tribes of Israel. We'll talk about the cities of refuge, the cities that would be given to the Levites on The Bible Life. Numbers 33:40 through 36:13, Numbers 33. It was then that the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan, heard that the people of Israel were approaching his land. Meanwhile, the Israelites left Mount Hor and camped at Zalmona. Then they left Zalmona and camped at Punon. They left Punon and camped at Oboth. They left Oboth and camped at Ije Abiram on the border of Moab. They left Ije Abiram and camped at Dibon Gad. They left Dibongad and camped at Almon de Blasaim. They left Almon de Blasaim and camped in the mountains east of the river near Mount Nebo. They left the mountains east of the river and camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Along the Jordan River, they camped from Beth Jeshimoth as far as Abel Shedom on the plains of Moab. While they were camped near the Jordan River on the plains of Moab opposite Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the people living there. You must destroy all their carved and molten images and demolish all their pagan shrines. Take possession of the land and settle in it, because I have given it to you to occupy. You must distribute the land among the clans by sacred lot and in proportion to their size. A larger inheritance of land will be allotted to each of the larger clans, and a smaller inheritance will be allotted to each of the smaller clans. The decision of the sacred lot is final. In this way, the land will be divided among your ancestral tribes. But if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live, and I will do to you what I had planned to do to them. Numbers 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the Israelites. When you come into the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your special possession, these will be the boundaries. The southern portion of your country will extend from the wilderness of Zin along the edge of Edom. The southern boundary will begin on the east at the Dead Sea. It will then run south, past Scorpion Pass, and in the direction of Zin. Its southernmost point will be Kadesh Barnea, from which it will go to Hazar Adar and on to Asmon. From Asmon, the boundary will turn toward the brook of Egypt and end at the Mediterranean Sea. Your western boundary will be the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Your northern boundary will begin at the Mediterranean Sea and run eastward to Mount Hor, then to Labo Hamath, and on through Zedad and Zifran to Hasar Enan. This will be your northern boundary. The eastern boundary will start at Hasar Enan and run south to Shephem, then down to Ribla on the east side of Ain. From there, the boundary will run down along the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee and then along the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. These are the boundaries of your land. Then Moses told the Israelites, This is the territory you are to divide among yourselves by sacred lot. The Lord commands that the land be divided up among the nine and a half remaining tribes. The families of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance of land on the east side of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. 
And the Lord said to Moses, These are the men who are to divide the land among the people, Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun. Also enlist one leader from each tribe to help them with the task. These are the tribes and the names of the leaders. From the tribe of Judah, the leader is Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Simeon will be led by Shemuel, son of Amihut. Benjamin will be led by Elidad, son of Kislon. Dan, Buki, son of Jogli. Manasseh, son of Joseph, will be led by Haniel, son of Ephod. Ephraim, son of Joseph, will be led by Kemuel, son of Shiftan. Zebulun, Elisaphan, son of Parnach. Issachar, Paltiel, son of Hassan. Asher, Aihud, son of Shelomi. Naphtali, Pedahel, son of Amihut. These are the men the Lord has appointed to oversee the dividing of the land of Canaan among the Israelites. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 35. While Israel was camped beside the Jordan on the plains of Moab across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Instruct the people of Israel to give to the Levites from their property certain towns to live in, along with the surrounding pasture lands. These towns will be their homes, and the surrounding lands will provide pasture for their cattle, flocks, and other livestock. The pasture land assigned to the Levites around these towns will extend 1,500 feet from the town walls in every direction. Measure off 3,000 feet outside the town walls in every direction, east, south, west, north, with the town at the center. This area will serve as the larger pasture land for the towns. You must give the Levites six cities of refuge, where a person who has accidentally killed someone can flee for safety. In addition, give them 42 other towns. In all, 48 towns with the surrounding pasture land will be given to the Levites. These towns will come from the property of the people of Israel. The larger tribes will give more towns to the Levites, while the smaller tribes will give fewer. Each tribe will give in proportion to its inheritance. And the Lord said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities of refuge for people to flee to if they have killed someone accidentally. These cities will be places of protection from a dead person's relatives who want to avenge the death. The slayer must not be killed before being tried by the community. Designate six cities of refuge for yourselves, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west in the land of Canaan. These cities are for the protection of Israelites, resident foreigners, and traveling merchants. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. But if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it must be presumed to be murder, and the murderer must be executed. Or if someone strikes and kills another person with a large stone, it is murder, and the murderer must be executed. The same is true if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden weapon. It must be presumed to be murder, and the murderer must be executed. The victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger must execute the murderer. So if in premeditated hostility someone pushes another person or throws a dangerous object and the person dies, it is murder. Or if someone angrily hits another person with a fist and the person dies, it is murder. In such cases, the victim's nearest relative must execute the murderer when they meet. But suppose someone pushes another person without premeditated hostility or throws something that unintentionally hits another person or accidentally drops a stone on someone, though they were not enemies, and the person dies. If this should happen, the assembly must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. 
They must protect the slayer from the avenger, and they must send the slayer back to live in a city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But if the slayer leaves the city of refuge, and the victim's nearest relative finds him outside the city limits and kills him, it will not be considered murder. The slayer should have stayed inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer may return to his own property. These are permanent laws for you to observe from generation to generation, wherever you may live. All murderers must be executed, but only if there is more than one witness. No one may be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Also, you must never accept a ransom payment for the life of someone judged guilty of murder and subject to execution. Murderers must always be put to death. And never accept a ransom payment from someone who has fled to a city of refuge, allowing the slayer to return to his property before the death of the high priest. This will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted, for murder pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for murder except by the execution of the murderer. You must not defile the land where you are going to live, for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 36. Then the heads of the clan of Gilead, descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, came to Moses and the family leaders of Israel with a petition. They said, Sir, the Lord instructed you to divide the land by sacred lot among the people of Israel. You were told by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. But if any of them marries a man from another tribe, their inheritance of land will go with them to the tribe into which they marry. In this way, the total area of our tribal land will be reduced. Then when the year of Jubilee comes, their inheritance of land will be added to that of the new tribe, causing it to be lost forever to our ancestral tribe. So Moses gave the Israelites this command from the Lord. The men of the tribe of Joseph are right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry anyone they like as long as it is within their own ancestral tribe. None of the inherited land may pass from tribe to tribe, for the inheritance of every tribe must remain fixed as it was first allotted. The daughters throughout the tribes of Israel who are in line to inherit property must marry within their tribe so that all the Israelites will keep their ancestral property. No inheritance may pass from one tribe to another. Each tribe of Israel must hold on to its allotted inheritance of land. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mala, Terza, Hogla, Milka, and Noah all married cousins on their father's side. They married into the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Thus, their inheritance of land remained within their ancestral tribe. These are the commands and regulations that the Lord gave to the people of Israel through Moses while they were camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. End of reading, Numbers 3340 through 3613. listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. One of the primary lessons we learn here in the book of Numbers, it's always about God calling from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language group around the world. It was always about God calling out from the entire human race a people for himself. But yet right in the midst of that 
grand project, we have this micro view of God's dealings with a specific individual, a specific family, a specific group of people, a clan, and then this people group that comes to be known as Israel. Jacob's name is changed. Remember, on that night before he meets his brother Esau, he wrestles with that man on the the banks of the river there. We're not sure who it was, but he wrestles with him. And at the end, he is given a blessing. This is a dramatic and a very marked moment in the life of Jacob as he turns his faith toward God in a greater way than he ever has before. Then his name is changed to Israel, which means having wrestled with God. For you have wrestled with God, it says, and won. That's why the people are called the people of Israel. It's the people, the descendants from Jacob. But we're not talking about a physical descendancy. We're not talking about being genetic or biological descendants of Jacob. We're told this in the New Testament. The people of God are spiritual descendants. We descend from the legacy of and heritage of faith. That is our DNA. It's a spiritual DNA, the people of God. What we have here is an earthly view, an earthly type of the people of God. God works with these individuals in time and space, and we can learn much as we see God dealing with them on an earthly level, in an earthly context. We can learn much about the true and living God and his ways, and we can learn many of the principles which guide him as he works with us, spiritual Israel, those who have come to God through faith in his mercy, his grace, as it is expressed and was expressed in time and space through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. The tabernacle, the temple, all of those sacrifices, all of those festival days, all of these different traditions in the people of Israel that we have seen established here in the books of Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, all of those different ways that God has of giving us a view, an idea, a prediction of his redemptive plan and how he would carry it out through the Messiah, this human being who would be born to destroy the work of Satan in tempting humanity into sin. So we've watched this incredible drama play out in the first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now the book of Numbers. What have you heard? What have you seen? Are you able to take these principles that are there in the Scriptures clearly established for us? the true and living God and his revelation of himself, the sin nature of man, the fallen nature of man, original sin, and why it is that all of humanity fell under the consequence of sin. And then God has made a provision. Jesus the Messiah is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And yet it had to play out in history, in time and space. And so we see the process being played out on the stage of human history, God working out his plan of redemption. Many people ask why the Israelites were told to destroy the people living in Canaan. War has always been a reality of human people groups, of nation against nation, family against family. In this context, though, it's somehow some kind of a mystery to us. There were several compelling reasons that we see in Scripture that God would give this command to destroy the people living in Canaan, to drive them out of the land. For one, God is stamping out the wickedness of an extremely sinful, perverse, immoral group of nations. Archaeology has shown us, in fact, that the Canaanite nations brought on their own punishment in many ways. Idol worship and extreme immorality and sexual perversion, these expressed some of their deepest evil desires and ultimately led to worship of false gods and the total rejection of true and living God and morality 
And God was using Moses and the people of Israel to judge Canaan in fulfillment of the prophecy. Remember way back in Genesis chapter 15, God had predicted that the sin and the wickedness of the nations of Canaan would have come to fulfillment. They would be ripe for judgment at that time. God does rule in the affairs of nations and he judges nations, not only their wickedness and their sinfulness, but also in the measure to which their national experience either aids or disrupts the carrying out of God's redemptive plan. Nations are judged on that basis. Morality and how do we fit in terms of helping the message of forgiveness and cleansing and liberty and freedom spread around the world. God judges nations and he was using Israel to judge the nations of Canaan at this time. And he wanted to remove all trace of pagan beliefs and practices because the people of Israel were very key people for him. They were going to be a showcase. They were going to be a people that God was going to use in a great dramatic way as an instrument of revelation of himself, not only to the people of Egypt and not only to the people of Canaan, but you're going to watch Israel now will go on to have a long existence there in this little piece of property called the Promised Land or Canaan. And they're going to have an influence over Egypt, over Aram, over Assyria, over Babylon, later on over Greece, and later even over the Roman Empire. This little piece of real estate and this group of people will have an incredible impact on the history of the world. They are strategically located and planted there for that very, very purpose. God has placed a lot of his plan on his use of this people as an instrument of revelation. So he doesn't want this people to compromise with idolatry in any way. And he is protecting them, and through protecting Israel from those things, he's protecting his redemptive plan for all of humanity, for all of the nations of the world. We receive the message today, clear and uncompromised, because God preserved the people of Israel and used them as an instrument of transmission of that redemptive plan and message to us. Now, the people of Israel did not do as they were told to do. They were told to drive the people out of the land, and God warned them that if they did not drive the wicked inhabitants out of the promised land, later on those very people would become a source of hardship and difficulty on them as a people, and that's exactly what happened. Just as the Israelites were hesitant to clear out all of the wicked people, and they suffered the consequences, we sometimes are hesitant to clear out all the sin in our lives. Now, we've already talked a little bit about the daughters of Zelophehad. We know a little bit their story, how this was an exception that was made to raise the legal rights, privileges that women would enjoy in the Israelite culture, which was very different from all the cultures and societies around them. The principle is that wherever the true and living God is worshipped, wherever the good news of the true God and the worship of the true God went, the well-being of women, of children, of ethnic minorities, human liberty spread with the spread of the truth about the true and living God. It's just a historic reality. By the way, these cities of refuge, remember that the law of that time was vengeance, and so these cities of refuge were truly in advance. Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. 
You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.